Well, morning everyone. My name's Steph, I'm one of the pastors here and um, we're going to spend some time now uh, looking in the Bible together and teach from the Bible and um, so if you are new to us at Rev, that was a standard part of what we do around this time on the Sundays, we spend really good time digging into scripture and, uh, and learning from God's word. Um, we're in a series that we've called Worship and War and it's really essentially, I guess, it's looking at the life of King David of Israel, the, the, the man who wrote about half of the Psalms in the book of the Psalms. In the middle of the Bible you'll find a book called the Psalms and it's really full of songs, songs of praise, prayers, poems. David wrote about just under half of those and he was, one, he was, he was king of Israel at a time really where, uh, where the, the, the nation of Israel was stronger um, and more glorious and more living in the good of God's promises than perhaps at any other time. He was followed by King Solomon, his son, who many of us are uh, familiar with that name in terms of synonymous with wisdom. And so we are looking at the life of David. Uh, but what, the way we're doing it is rather than just simply going through his life, what we're doing is we are looking at certain Psalms that he wrote. If you look in the book of Psalms, you'll see that some of them simply say the Psalm and then it starts Others of them have a little description beforehand saying, David wrote this when? And so we've, we've, we're looking at those psalms in this series and we are, <clears throat> excuse me, we are plotting those, we are plotting where they fit in the narrative of David's journey. And so looking at David's, looking in, in one sermon at some narrative of what went on and then delving together into the psalm that we see that that's what we're doing. We've called it worship and war because on one level, I guess two reasons, on one level, those were the two things that marked David's life. He was a warrior king. In those days, it was part of the king's responsibility to lead his people out in battle. So he was a warrior, famous for his victory over Goliath. But there were many other wars and battles he was involved in. And also for his worship that he was this, he was the singer of songs of Israel. That's how he was known. But there's a, there's, a, there's a deeper level, a deeper layer to it that is very relevant to us, whereby essentially, if you think about the Christian life, um, or maybe even life in general. <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. That, that worship and war are two things that mark life. Worship is a, is a word that is the concept of worship. Perhaps comes to its focus in moments like the last half an hour or so. Where we were very deliberately, very specifically singing songs of praise. Drawing near to God in our hearts and praising and worshipping him. But actually worship is a much wider thing than that. It says in the Bible to believers in the book of Romans, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. And so worship's about a lot more than half an hour of singing. It's about really what we give our hearts and our passion and our lives to. What's the main thing that really drives us and really, really motivates us? And so in that sense, all of us, whether we would describe ourselves as religious or spiritual or secular, all of us are worshippers. All of us have that top thing in our heart that really gets us out of bed in the morning and motivates us. That is your object of worship. The second thing is the reality of war. Uh, in the sense that, in, what I'll describe as we go through this psalm in a, in a moment, but the reality is we live in a spiritual war zone. It's not neutral. It's, you know, everything's not fine. There are some big problems going on in creation, in the world, and there are spiritual reasons behind that. Which means the context in which we live our lives is a context of spiritual warfare. And like I said, I'll explain that as we go through. And so worship and war are very relevant to every single one of us 
in the room. So let's turn together to 1 Samuel chapter 22, where we will read, to be honest, quite a disturbing story, quite a disturbing chapter in David's life. I want to ask you to put yourself in his shoes. Uh, What would be going on in your heart and in your mind if what happened if you were David, if you, if you had been somehow in, found yourself in David's part of this storm that we read about. So I'm going to read this to you. And then uh, after that, we will read out loud the psalm together that David wrote when this happened. So are you sitting comfortably? All right. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress... And everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart going to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard, Saul is, in case, you're not up, in case you're not familiar with the story, Saul is the one who's currently king. David has been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king in his place. Saul is envious of him, deeply insecure, um, and, and, and a very destructive man. When Saul heard, when, now Saul heard David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, that's David, will he give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. And then answered Doeg the Edomite who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse. I saw David coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him. And gave him provisions. And gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub. And all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob. And all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you've given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he's risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? And then Ahimelech answered the king, Who among all your servants is as faithful as David? He's your son-in-law, captain over your bodyguard, honoured in your house. Is today the first time I've inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And they knew that he fled and didn't disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn, strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. He killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, 
he put to the sword man, woman, child, infant, ox, donkey and sheep he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the people of your father's house. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. Now let's read Psalm 52 together, shall we? So then David wrote this at this time in in context of this happening. Here we go. Let's read out loud together. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor. You worker of deceit. You love evil more than good. And lying more than speaking what is right. Sailor, you love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living, sailor. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And... um, These stories aren't easy stories. And they bring home the reality sometimes of the brutality of life. The life is not straightforward even when we are chosen by you, called by you, anointed by you. In the centre of your will, things happen that are confusing and distressing. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this psalm and consider how you inspired David in this moment, that we ourselves would be comforted, encouraged and strengthened, and that our confidence in you would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've called this message, Snakes, Sand and Steadfast Love. I hope you like that. We're going to look at snakes first. Doeg the Edomite, snake in the grass. So the story is this. When David fled from Saul, he stopped off on the way to speak to the priest Ahimelech. Because he had nothing. His life was in danger. He needed food and weapons. And so um, the priest gave him some consecrated bread to eat. And they gave him the sword of Goliath. Because he had nothing. Doeg the Edomite was present. And he watched it. And David clocked it. You know when you clock someone? (laughs) David thought, ah, he's a snake in the grass. He's a snake in the grass. And so when he heard what happened, David says, I knew he was going to do this. And so Doeg really is the, is the evil guy. Doeg really takes up about four or five verses in this psalm. Have you noticed that this psalm is not primarily addressed to God? And not primarily even addressed to himself. He spends most of it addressing the enemy, Doeg, 
the Edomite. But what has Doeg the Edomite got to do with us? Well, the reality is if you read the story of Samuel, you'll realize that this, there's, a, there's things that are being played out naturally, but behind the scenes, spiritually, that's what's really driving it. There are forces of evil and darkness that are at work in this story. Saul himself is tormented frequently by an evil spirit. There's a spiritual darkness, a spiritual reality, and uh, it's in the unseen realm. Now, as Christians, we believe in the unseen realm. In fact, the Bible says that what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And so in that sense, you could even argue that what is unseen has more substance or reality to it than what is seen. And so often we are so caught up with what we can see, hear, touch, that we're not as discerning as we might be about what is going on in the unseen realm. In fact, sometimes we miss entirely what is going on in the unseen realm. And we find ourselves so caught up with anger, uh, bitterness, uh, and, and aiming at people that we, that we actually completely miss what's going on. The Bible says this to Christians, that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the unseen forces of spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, against the powers and principalities. And one of, the, one of the things that happens when you become a Christian, you become awake to spiritual reality. And not just some kind of vague spiritual reality, but the, the true spiritual reality. You see, we live in an age that is increasingly in our part of the world aware of spiritual reality, but there's a naivety about it. There's no revelation with it. And so people tend to just fall into all kinds of spiritual activity, if you like. There's, uh, if you was to rewind a few decades into the UK, it was very much a materialist society. People weren't interested in spiritual things. They were interested in stuff. It's changed a lot. The last few decades, it's changed so much now. So now people, they, they, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that is spiritual. There's a reawakening of interest in all kinds of, in quote, spiritual stuff. It's now very common for people to say, I'm spiritual. Spiritual person. That's very normal. <clears throat> but what do people mean by that? What they tend to mean by that is, is, I don't really want to be involved in religion, but there's something in me that wants and feels a hunger and an awareness of something beyond just what's in front of me. The Bible gives us a, 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 a comprehensive understanding of spiritual reality. And, it, and what becomes clear as we see the Bible, as we read in Scripture, we see that one of the main things that comes through is that there's light and there's darkness. And the last thing you really do want to get involved in is spiritual darkness because it's not a game. It's real. And, 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 there, and it can lead to all kinds of torment and all kinds of difficulty and all kinds of stuff. But the reality is, hallelujah, Jesus can set us free from all of that. But there's a reality to this that we need to be awake to as believers if we're really going to move on one of the names that the bible gives to satan to, to the devil is that he's the accuser the accuser of the brothers now put yourself in david's position in this story ahimelech's only surviving son turns up and says because we were supporting you all of my family is now dead just put yourself there just put yourself there you're in this cave You've gathered this rabble. You don't know what's going on. And now, and now this priest turns up with blood on his cloak. Says, they're all dead. They're all dead. You recognize them. Your dad's, your Ahimelech's son. Why are they dead? Because we helped you. How vulnerable are you at that point to being utterly crippled by accusation? And you know what? I imagine myself in David's shoes. And at this point, do you know what I do? I go, you know what, guys? Forget all this. 
this is just becoming way too destructive. You understand what I'm saying? Forget all this. I am causing so much grief, death, trouble. And even David, interestingly, he's, there's this acknowledgement. He says, I've brought about the death. So he, he's aware of what's going on. He can see it. And yet there's this, there's this strength. There's, this, there's something about it where he then says to the man, stay with me. Don't be afraid. Those who seek my life, seek yours. You're safe with me. Safe with you? <gasps> Are you serious? Safe with you? Not Mention your name and our life is under threat. Safe with you? There's this extraordinary confidence. What is this? What, how, what, is, what has happened in David? Something happened in David in those years of obscurity where he was with the sheep and he was killing bears and lions and whatever else attacked the sheep and he was learning about the Lord and he was grow- something happened foundationally in him where he realised that God was sovereign above all the crazy stuff that goes on and God is good and God is faithful, as we've been hearing today. And it, it, it was a foundation in him that enabled him to walk through that stuff and still trust God. This is massive. This is, this, is, this is huge. How many times are you crippled by accusation? You go, oh, you know, you just allow those thoughts to multiply in your head and you go, oh, no, what's the point? Or, you know what, I'm not going to go there again. Or, you know what, I just cause trouble. Or, you know, this thing, and it can multiply in your head around you. I'm a liability. Anyone registering with what I'm saying? Whenever I'm around, things get worse. If anyone at this point has got calls to think like it's David, he says, stay with me, you'll be safe. Why is that? Here's what it is. Here's what it is. The accuser has been defeated. We heard about it earlier. The Bible says at the cross, Jesus disarmed all the principalities and powers. The accuser has been defeated. How has the accuser been defeated? There's a beautiful parallel here. Let me tell you about another priest, a high priest, who was slaughtered. There was a high priest who was thought of. His name is Jesus. This is a picture of the gospel. God appointed his son as a high priest to, to lift us up, to pray for us, to represent us before the Father. He was slaughtered. And, and in the moment looking on, people thought this is a, this is a disaster. It's all, come, it's all come to nothing. He's not who he said he was. And yet actually the Bible says that in that moment of slaughter, as his blood was spilt, it was being spilt for the sins of the world. And the fact that it's being spilt for the sins of the world means that an atoning sacrifice was being made for the wrong things we've done. Which means that as we hide ourselves in this high priest Jesus, though the accusations may come, And many of those accusations, often there's truth in them, which is why they hurt so much. And although they come, they don't have the crippling power they could have because one has stood and died in our place and taken the blame for us. And so we're able to recognise sometimes the difficulties we have created, the trouble that sometimes has swelled around us, the liability at times that we've been, and that we're able through Christ to look at God and say, you know what, I will not be defeated by it. I will not stay here. 
I want, this will not become the story, the narrative of my life. I, I, I will become someone who, by God's grace, will be able to shelter and give refuge to others. We'll be able to say to others, yeah, my life's not been perfect, but stay with me and you'll be safe. Oh, it's the gospel. It's beautiful. But you have to be awake to spiritual warfare. There is a snake in the grass that will do all he can to accuse and bombard and try to make you feel utterly condemned so that you curl up in a ball and, and, and stop trusting the Lord, go in on yourself and no longer bear the kind of fruit that God by his grace has appointed you to bear. By his grace, not by your goodness, by his grace. Undeserved favour. That's the grace. That's why we get so excited when we sing these songs. Oh, his grace is never going to stop because it's undeserved favour. None of us deserve anything. We don't deserve this grace, but it's come our way. So snakes. And then the second thing I want to just quickly look at is this idea of sand. It's wilderness really, but wilderness didn't start with an S. So I said sand instead. It's not very, not very good really, but there you go. David says this, I am, can we just have the psalm up please Tuli, just to maybe the second half of it. Verse 8. I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. What? <laughs> Imagine, could you say that about yourself, particularly in a season like this? It's extraordinary confidence. It's audacious, isn't it? It's like, wow, how can you say this? Let me say that, that God has a way of bringing phenomenal and extraordinary spiritual growth to our lives through seasons of wilderness. It's God's way. There's something that happens in the wilderness. There's something that happens over these years of David's life where he's, it's a little bit, I, lo- I really do love, I find so helpful the image of the tree in the ground and then during a drought, the water level underneath the surface, the water table drops, you know, the level drops. And the tree, the roots of the tree can no longer access the water for growth. But what happens in those seasons is, is that the, the roots push down further to find the water so that the growth may come and I think that's a wonderful picture of what happens in the wilderness it suddenly gets dry you think God where have you gone what's happening it gets dry in those seasons by the grace of God there is a grace there is, an, a, there is a, a power from heaven to be able to push into God you don't feel anything but you're able to push in and you find the water and then you look back in another season and you look back and you go, wow, I grew in that season more than I've ever grown. Anyone ever experienced that? It's extraordinary. It's miraculous. This is an extraordinary thing. It's God's way. And we mustn't, we're so quick to judge on the surface. This season feels terrible. And we're so guided by our emotions very often, aren't we? It feels really hard or really dry or really confusing. And then we can start coming to all kinds of conclusions that are totally misguided. The whole time God said, no, I simply brought you into a bit of a season of, of, of a wilderness so that you might push your roots down deeper and grow bigger and therefore be able to provide more shade for others. And so when we're in those seasons, we need somehow to be able to learn to say this, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. And you're not sure where the fruit is. <laughs> you're looking around thinking, feel like feel as dry as a branch. But I know I'm in him. I'm like a green olive tree in his house. You know, we do believe in a God of deliverance and miracles and healing. We, we really do and we love that. We pursue that. 
We also believe in a God who leads us into, into the wilderness. He does that as well sometimes. You remember the story of Jesus gets baptised and then it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Spirit led him. It wasn't the wrong, it wasn't bad, it wasn't um, accidental. The Spirit led him into the wilderness and he fasts, doesn't he, for 40 days and 40 nights and then there's this temptation, these three temptations in the wilderness from the devil, all of it orchestrated by the Father and to prepare him for his public ministry. The Spirit led him. We, we, we follow a God who leads us from time to time into the wilderness. And you know, if you, don't know the, if you don't know the purpose of God in that, you can become embittered by that. Or you can become um, hardened by that. Or you can just become disheartened. You think, what's the point? You know what? In Christ, our lives are so full of such purpose. We, ha- we haven't got to fall into that. The Bible says, we've heard it sung prophetically all around the room this morning. He starts, he completes. He's faithful. He is faithful. And so it's so important, brothers and sisters, that we don't fall into a weird sort of expectation of, um, how can I put it? This, this situation where actually what we're doing is we're just looking at what's seen or how we feel emotionally and we're gauging things by that. It's immature. It's not mature. What does the Bible say? We don't fix our eyes on what's seen, but what's unseen. That's not easy. But actually that's mature because you go, do you know what? And Paul says when he says that, he says we're always of good courage. Why? Because we fix our eyes on what is unseen. There's a link there. And very often when we fall out of strength and courage, it's because we've fixed our eyes on what's seen and you get overwhelmed by it. You think, I can't fix this or I can't solve this or oh, not that again. And you're so fixated with that that your courage drains out of you. Paul says, no, no, we're always of good courage because that's where our eyes are fixed. And this is someone, I don't know about you, but if some of the things that happened to Paul happened to me, I would be seriously questioning. (laughs) Did I make a right move here? You know, am I really an apostle? I'm really called by God. It's awful, you know, shipwrecked this many times, beaten with rods this many times. I mean, it's just a list of calamity upon disaster. And he looks and he says, well, you know, I I just believe all of this is going to create such an eternal weight of glory. It will seem, this will seem insignificant. You go, what? That's, that's the mindset of, of, of new covenant trusting. It's, God, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Now, you know, we're not going to get there overnight. But part of us maturing as a church is God taking us where we think more like that. And I do, you know, I do want to commend you. I, I have so many, so many spiritual heroes in this church. Those of you who have seen you walk through stuff and the way you respond, you, you fix your eyes on what's unseen. Let's keep doing that. And also keep expecting God for extraordinary things in terms of breakthrough. I'm going to end with this final point. The steadfast love of God. So if you look at the first uh, verse, please, truly of the psalm. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. And then maybe the the second half of the psalm, please, truly now. And then if we look at the end there, I trust. Oh, sorry. Yeah, verse 8. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. It's this phrase. It's a Hebrew word. Steadfast love of God. Sometimes it's interpreted loving kindness. Sometimes it's interpreted mercy. The Hebrew word is hesed. And it really is talking about the covenant love of God. And I, I, I think more and more in our, just, just I guess the way our, I don't know how to put it, our society is going, the understanding of covenant is less and less at the, for, at the front and centre. It's becoming much more marginalised. And so with that we can, we can lose our understanding of what this means. Um, 
a covenant is a binding, a, a binding agreement between two parties. It's a binding agreement. Solemn. Solemn. The word means to cut. That's what it means. Covenant means to cut. Because, they, because they would, there, would always be something invo- there would always be some sort of cutting, some sort of blood involved in the covenant. Because what you're saying is, 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 if we break this covenant, we die. Solemn. Weighty. Gravitas. It's, it's not contract. It's not sign this and let's put some asterisks in, in place. If you don't do my side, then I'll... It's not that. It's covenant. It's no. You break, the, you, you break this on death. That's covenant. And there's this extraordinary covenant between father and son. People don't often understand this. This is the gospel covenant. It's between father and son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're so confident in the covenant. Because it's between father and son. And us believers, we are in the son, so we are gathered up into it. But the covenant is between father and son. And so you can be 100% secure that that covenant will stand. It doesn't hang on me and my performance. It hangs on him and I'm in him. And not, none of that covenant will not ever be broken between father and son. And so the, the steadfast love of God, it says, is, is when God commits himself to us so powerfully in the person of his son who lays down his life for us. That's where the cutting happens there. The piercing and the blood comes out. It's a covenant being made between father and son and all who are in him. Which is why, why the big exhortation in scripture is keep trusting in him. Because as long as you're in him, you're safe. You cannot be forsaken. You cannot, it can't break down. There's a covenant that's happened between father and son. It can't break down. It's, 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 it's settled for eternity. It's done. The work is done. The, it, it's, it, Jesus said it is finished. He's done it. It's glorious. It's, it's magnificent. And that's why David says it lasts all the day. It lasts all the day. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. It just goes on and on and on. And the more we can be established in that covenantal framework, we know where we are. And then what happens is when you, when you embrace that, you're, you're psychologically, as a, the way you work as a person internally, it becomes incredibly robust. Because you go, well, I know whatever's going on, nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can. I'm literally unconquerable. Through him who loved us. It doesn't, it's not a, it doesn't, I'm in it, but it's, it's about him. Do you understand? I'm in it, but the Father and the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit have established this phenomenally strong covenant. It's unbreakable, utterly planned from eternity and, and worked out in perfection. And I've been brought up into it through faith in Christ. I mean, that is... What, what can you trade for that? <laughs> That's why David can, can, can look on. He's, see, he's seen it in its embryonic form. He understands the faithfulness of God. And, and that is what will, over the decades, um, over the years of our lives, that is what will keep us as things come our way that we, we didn't expect. Some of us will face tragedy in life. It will happen. It will happen. What's going to keep us? What is going to keep us? Only this. Only this. That the steadfast love of God is, and it's been settled at the cross. I know that He loves me. While I was a sinner, He died for me. I, I, I never questioned that. 
Never need to question that. You never need to ever question the love of God over your life. Do you know that? You never, need, you never ever need to do that. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us today that God wants to make us, as we fix our hearts on his steadfast love, as steadfastness will grow in us. You, be, you become conformed to what you look at. You, you look at him and this amazing covenant. So you are formed into steadfastness instead of flimsiness. And we live in an incredibly flimsy culture. It's really sad. And people are just literally driven, washed everywhere by emotion. Nothing wrong with emotion, but if it's the governing tiller on the boat, it's a mess. It's a mess. To simply wake up and ask, how am I feeling? And let, your, let, let that determine the rest of the day. That is so dangerous, destructive. We have been liberated from that. We're in covenant. We know because we know because we know. And as you live in that, there's a steadfastness that grows, a rootedness. Where you're able to walk through things kind of like this, maybe not as dramatic as this. But you're able to come out going, do you know what? I've not been destroyed by it. Still here. Still trusting God. Would you have still trusted God in this moment? It's hard to say. It's hard to know, isn't it? What we do know is a few years down the line, David, David is crowned king. Everything that was promised to him comes to pass. But what, what we see, what we learn through it, is that there's a, often a very convoluted journey in between the promises God makes his people and the fulfillment of them. And plenty of chances on the way to lose heart, give up, go in on yourself. There's mercy for us. There's grace for us not to have to do that. Maybe you're here, you've never known personally in your heart being brought into this extraordinary covenant, this where you say, Jesus, I completely abandon myself to you. Be my Lord. And he draws you into his gracious, loving, kindness and into relationship. I tell you, because of the cross, the work has been done. Any one of you in the room that does not currently know this, you can know this today. Just give yourself to him completely. Turn from darkness. Turn from all sin and darkness and put your trust in him. Watch what he does. It's extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. Amen? Maybe we just have a moment to be able to respond to this message. I think maybe for some of us, there's, you just know that you've kind of gone in on yourself in terms of accusation. You've let the accuser win when he has no authority to win. You've accepted the story, but it's not the right story. You've, you've, Embraced the fact that you're a liability when God says you're chosen and called and you need to say no, no to that. Others of you in a season of wilderness, it's just dry. And you know you need to interpret that right. Not interpret that in some unbelieving crippling way but no as God he's just committed to your growth that's all it is just committed to your growth he does things like this it's part of him bringing you to glory it's actually it's actually a sign that you're in the family you should find a great assurance through it instead of doubts
He's working in you. But some of the things in us, the dark things, are buried so deep. Sometimes only a season of pressure and wilderness will really dredge it out, suck it out. He knows what he's doing though. He's got you. He's got you. And others, just a fresh renewal with this idea. You, you're in, you are in Christ unconquerable because of this amazing covenant between father and son that you've been brought into. It's wonderful. Truth. It's been done. Unbreakable. You're into something unbreakable. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. If you know, you just know, I need to make a stand on one, two, three of those things. I need to make today, I just got to make a stand on some of those things. I'm going to ask you to stand just to say I'm making a stand. Then we're going to pray for you and then we're going to break bread. Lord, we thank you for every dear brother and sister that stood up to just say, yeah, I'm making a stand today, God. I know know that I just need to make a stand. Thank you that there's strength and power from you to do that. We haven't got to do it out of our own willpower. There's a strength from heaven. And I pray that your power would come on these guys now, Lord, to be able to hold the line, to be able to be courageous, Lord, to be able to get through, to be able to win, to be able to really know uh, the reality of your, your kindness, your mercy. Lord, we have to sometimes fight, fight to really uh, stand in, in the goodness of your love. We can feel ourselves being washed away by other ideas. I pray for real strength to be given. Real Holy Spirit still to be given in the name of Jesus. They would not move. They would not move. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you do and what you bring. We love what you're doing. We love what you're doing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We honor you here. We honor you here. We honor you in all that you're doing. Soften our hearts and make us strong, I pray. Soften our hearts, Lord, but I pray, Lord, toughen our skins. Thicken our skins, I pray, Lord God, we wouldn't be fragile in that, in that sense, Lord. We would be able to take some hits. Keep moving, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord. We are in a war. We recognize it, Lord. The Bible says, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom. I pray for growing strength, resolve, the ability to even suffer as good soldiers. To suffer as good soldiers. To say, no, it hurts, but I'm still in. I'm still in. In Jesus' name. Some of you need a second wind. I just say, Lord, let it come. Let it come. Some of you, it's been a long season. Say, let it come in Jesus' name. I pray that second, that second wind to come on you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's that ability to keep going when you thought, I've got nothing left. No, we say, let there be strength to keep going for however long God ordains the season to be in Jesus' name. That you won't just uh, give up and stop in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Before we respond, there's just two illustrations God's reminded me. I want to just encourage you with um, uh, from uh, some personal experience. One is this. I, I help to coach um, kids in a local boxing club. And when, people, when kids come to box, obviously the technique is awful. So they're punching, but they're leaning, they're leaning to the side. And what the head coach says is, imagine there's a, there's a rod of steel that's gone through you, right through you from top to bottom and touch, come through and touching the floor. So you're allowed to twist and things like that, but you, you just can't bend like that, and bend like that, and you can't do it. There's steel in you. And as I was praying, I was reminded of that image. For God, it would be like, you've got, I've got, I've got, there's a steel in me from God. I can't just bend here, there, and everywhere. I can twist and duck and move and that, but actually I'm standing strong, and I'm standing tall. 
And um, just to know that, that that's a kind of strength God's going to put in you. The second thing is, is that in July, I went with Levi and two of my brothers um, to um, the Lake District to do this crazy, ridiculous um, trek. And <clears throat> there were times where I literally wanted to just lie down and curl up. I just thought, I can't do it anymore. I just wanted to curl out. I thought, if this is it, it's been good, Lord, thanks. You know, take me to glory. It was just horrible. It was frankly horrible on day two. Um, great at the end, but, you know, during it. And people, people respond in different ways to those sorts of situations, don't they? For me, I sort of said to myself, if I can keep putting one foot in front of the other, at some point, it will be the top. Because you know what it's like when you do mountains. You think it's a top, you get there, and it's like, oh. and that can happen about six times. It's really soul destroying. So I got into this thing of saying, if I literally just left, then right, and do that again, at some point, it has to be the top. There are no eternal mountains. Do you know what I mean? Other than the Lord. Do you know what I mean? So I'm going to keep going. And I found it really helpful. I just feel like for some of you, I was reminded of that. I was praying for some of you. Just, just don't worry about doing any, anything heroic. Just keep going. God does the amazing stuff, right? He weaves it together. He brings breakthrough. He, he, he multiplies your very small efforts. Just keep going. He's amazing. We don't have to be. We can be normal. That's all right. Okay? He does amazing stuff with what we bring. Just don't lose heart. Amen? Amen. Why don't we um, gather back together, musicians, and let's stand, let's break bread, let's go back to that place of victory. The cross where his body was broken, and his blood poured out for us. That's where we that's the center, that's the epicenter where the victory starts. We go back there, we remind one another. I'll let Rich lead to in the best way that we do that, but let's let's look to Jesus together. Amen.